Hello everyone, welcome to From No to Nothing, Ontological Oxymorons. I'm your host, Joel Bouchard, a doctoral student in psychology. And with me today is Mr. Norman Gayford, a professor of English and philosophy. If there's a topic you'd like us to cover on the show, feel free to email us at fromnowertonothingpodcast at gmail.com or contact us on our Facebook page. After 160 episodes, it can be tempting to think that we've picked all the low-hanging fruit, that we've exhausted the big headline-grabbing keep-you-awake-at-night concepts like God and time, and now are reduced to piddly, insignificant ideas like hope. But every once in a while, one of the heavier topics of philosophy eludes us, almost as if it's somehow absorbing and bending light to avoid us seeing it. Well, an accretion disk of future episode material has brought one such monster to light. Today, we're talking about black holes. Da, da, da. <laughs> <laughs> I can just, sort of the 90s movie trailer, you thought you'd seen it all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. In a world. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I had a little bit of fun with that one. Just, just poking fun at us uh That's thinking good. of That's yeah I, I i like to tell tell people that when we started we were just going to do 10 episodes on the uh the big topics in philosophy and then we realized uh well all all topics are kind of big topics once you dig into them so they, they are and and uh, if nothing else we've we've shown we were just talking about discipline right we, we we've shown that um philosophical discussion is a kind of discipline it's not a, it's not a rigorous discipline like like running on a treadmill um, although intellectually it is but it's it, it's something that goes through your life mm. we're getting older i'm doing it faster than you <laughs> back to temporality but we're getting older and and the topics shift or we return to a topic and say you know what we didn't exhaust that topic because you know what you can never exhaust the topic uh, and so, yeah, here we are, black holes. <laughs> yeah, and that's another uh, that's another thing that pops up every once in a while. Is we'll go, we we should talk about this, and then we'll find out we already did, we did talk, talk about, about that, right? <laughs> but a lot of the, like you said, the discussion it never ends, and and lots of times when we're thinking about it the second time around, we're thinking about different areas or the the conversation has evolved past what we talked about the first time so. yes and this isn't a, a particulate granular kind of conversation because we've we've been nurturing this sort of um, connected through line of episodes for the next number of weeks but in order to get to those we have to start with this. yeah yeah so what is a black hole well the one-line definition is a, a collapsed sun that uh, uh, grows so, the gravitational power grows so intense that as it's collapsing, light cannot escape from it. And, a, and a, something is created in which there's a, a, a horizon at which things can't emerge. Yeah. That's nice and vague. Yeah, yeah. And so it's not yeah, it's not just um related to stars either. Anything, any gravitational mass, if you had any accumulation of matter yep. big enough, it could become a black hole. So And and one definition says it's a reason region of space. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So so it's it and there and there are other names like gravitars things that sound like they came out of comic books because they probably did because a lot of physicists also read and read comic books but uh, they're, but they're wonderful they're delightful for that so, yeah. yeah a region of space where gravitation becomes so intense that no matter or radiation can escape and so we know um from you know basic physics that gravity is related to mass and so you know it they did the calculations, and in order for the Earth to generate a black hole, you'd have to condense down the entire mass of the Earth into the size of a ping pong ball. So that tells you just how dense a black hole is. And so black holes, you know, if you think about the whole Earth crammed down into a ping pong ball, you go, wow, that's, that's a really high density. And then when you think about the black holes that are out there, you know, the one at the center of the Milky Way is four point million masses the size of the sun. 
right? Mm-hmm. So 4. Mm-hmm. million solar masses in this one black hole, you go, it's terrifying, right? <laughs> it's one of those things where you go, oh my gosh, that, that will keep you up at night. <laughs> so, and then you look at a picture because we finally saw a black hole. Yeah. First in 2019 and then in 2021. Uh, you can't see a black hole. You just see what's happening around it. It's like looking into a fireplace <clears throat> and seeing the, the, the most intense, deepest, darkest red and a little brighter yellow around it. But that's just kind of a ring. It's, 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 it's there. It's a maw. Hmm. And, and that was really impressive first because it, 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 un, un, challengeable proof that a black hole exists and then another black hole exists and the idea that there are black holes at the center of many galaxies why would they be at the center well there are all kinds of reasons and we don't have to go into that today but gee they're there hmm. and this is where the philosophy starts to happen but not only about the rules that they seem to break but what makes them there in the first place and in the very fact of their thereness uh makes us have to think about ontology and epistemology what we know and all those things yeah yeah exactly and that's that's going to be the the really big fun parts of of the episode that i'm looking forward to so yeah well um quick black hole anatomy right so you have um the part that everybody's familiar with which is the horizon the event horizon of the black hole so this this sphere that if you were looking at it from the outside it's just purely black you cannot see anything throughout it anything that crosses through the horizon can never again pass out into the universe um and then around the horizon you might have an accretion disk of things that are being um pulled in yeah pulled in and rotating so quickly that the friction that they're um encountering is causing them to light up and heat up to thousands of degrees and you know emit light um and then down inside the view event horizon we believe that there is a point called a singularity because at this point we don't have the physics to tell us exactly what's going on and so. a singularity can be a point but it also is a, a number of physicists also call it a tear right <clears throat> in the fabric of space-time but that brings up all kinds of things too. So point or tear, or whatever. We don't see that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so we'll expound about uh, on it a little bit more in our next section here, which is um, in talking about the history of it a little bit. When were black holes first theorized? When when did this this crazy idea <laughs> that there might be a point in in space where that's inaccessible to us? Hmm. When did that first come up? In the 1700s, interestingly enough, so much goes back to our, to the Enlightenment. Yeah. <laughs> um, when, when you, uh, you had a, a various scientists, including, uh, Planck or Planck, uh, who were coming on the idea of doing what ifs, what would happen if something, uh, collapsed into a small, space how could anything get out of it nothing could because it would have to go faster than the speed of light that was being talked about in 1783 Mm. yeah (laughs) Um, before before relativity before quantum physics before you know so uh, humans humans are amazingly brilliant and 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 just hit on things that seem random but then start to make their own causal chain um so yeah, we'll start with that. Back further than you would expect. Yeah, it seems sort of abstract and abstruse for that period of time, you know. And I, I can imagine that many contemporaries would would say so to these guys, right? Well, man, could you have a a, a start so so ha- the gravity so high that the light couldn't escape, and people go, "What are you talking about? Of course that can't exist in reality. Why even mention it?" But yeah, so John Michel was was the guy who originally. Um, th- yeah, you know, hypothesized right. about it, and he had um some basic calculations to um define it, but he was just conceptualizing it wrong. The way that he thought about it was that 
you'd have a star and he still has probably the coolest name for a black hole right the dark star the dark right? star yeah <laughs> in a world where the dark star <laughs> yeah so and there was a tv show called dark star and there's an all yeah kind of, and know, so yeah. his conceptualization of it right was that you could have a star that was so big that <laughs> the it would still be trying to emit light the way a normal star does but those light rays would try to escape it and then would fall back down to the surface mm-hmm. um which we know now is not the way that a black hole works um but his idea that gravity could be so strong that light couldn't escape was sort of the that was a seminal idea yeah that was, yeah that was yeah. the foundational idea and so that's back in 1784. i was off by a year well and then general relativity came around so you want to want to talk about einstein a little bit yeah i mean einstein here here's a guy who you'd say is normal normal guy doing his 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 paper pushing job and and all the time working on the back of that paper on these uh, ideas but um when when looking at the universe reading reading what he read studying what he studied being a really Mostly, I think, uh, I can't say it's the very first idea, and I, who can say that, but the, the idea of, well, when everything's in motion, how do you know that time isn't different? Time might be different, uh, because is, is the same time for you on a train experience the way somebody is, is uh, who's standing on the ground watching the train go by? Um, how are these things related to each other? Relativity, re- one thing related to another in the, uh, that circumstance. How does that actually work? And, and interestingly, he was the first person, well, one of the first people on record, the first person to take it as far as he did on, on, on record. And, and that's in the early 20th century. Um, so he's starting by looking at, all right, What's the watch say, or the or the the timepiece on the train? If it's in by this other person, what's that person's watch say? And it's probably going to be different. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, what I think about, and and spoiler alert, we read Carlo Rovelli's book White Holes, mm-hmm. which is going to be next week's episode. And um, one thing that Rovelli says um, about it is, it's striking. It takes me back to our episode on juicing. Right, this idea of of jumping outside of the paradigm in order to yeah. look at all of the thinking from a from a fresh perspective, and um, Rovelli mentions that that that's the way that most of the the advances in physics have come. Right, Einstein, and you know he goes back even farther than Einstein. You know, back to to Kepler and some of these uh, other Newton guys. And yeah, they, yeah, right. They, yeah. they get out. They crawl outside the box. Right, or they. Jump outside the box. What happens when you jump as high as you can? You're up there for a moment, but then you land flat on your feet again. So you got to jump again. I think that's what juicing really, when we're talking about that, it's not like you get up there and oh, you're just floating above the planet as long as you, you can, or the, the box, so to speak. No, you're, you're making a leap. What do I see? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, these guys, uh, were were visualizing things right they, they mm-hmm. weren't just they weren't just uh expert mathematicians these were guys who had imagination and they had the ability to you know philosophize and, and think on a meta level about the the concepts that were being addressed and so um and finkelstein who we'll talk about in just a little bit all these guys had this they there was art mixed into their science you know and that is what helped them make yeah. breakthroughs and so yeah, juicing and and the the example you just gave there reminds me of another part in Rovelli's book where he talks about, you know, when you're trying to make those types of advance advances, you know, your success hinges upon what you decide to bring with you from the box <laughs> and what yeah. you decide to leave yeah. in the box. Yeah. And, right? and you inevitably decide to leave something in order to carry something. It's 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 like the bull uh, ballast. Yeah. You have to let something go in order to make it's 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 an economy of scarcity really a very strange way of saying it mm. you have to make room for something by letting something else go yeah so and you know again going back to the fact these guys 
you know, we think of them nowadays as being expert mathematicians, which they were, but they had other skills that helped them go on. So Einstein's yeah. working at the patent office. He comes up with the idea of general relativity, which talks about, um, yeah, exactly that, that, that time, you know, and, and space are, are relative based upon the position of the observer. Yeah. And then a few months later, another, you know, expert mathematician, but who was serving as a soldier, right? On the Russian front in World War II. Yes, War Shield. Um, so he comes up with solutions to the equations. And, um, you and know. mails them to Einstein. Yeah. In a rather humble way. Um, sort of saying, I wish I could be there working on this with you. It wasn't that wording exactly, but I'm, I'm doing this right now. <laughs> yeah. And so, so yeah, he comes up with some solutions to the equations. And then, it, you know, it's it sort of progresses that way because there's although there's only three real things you need to define a, a stationary black hole right mm -hmm. you have mass electrical charge and angular momentum um there's different ways that it can be conceptualized and so different um physicists come up with different solutions for all the different configurations um which basically just starts to concretize or um, established that, you know what, these things that, that sort of seemed like just an oddity, just a weird thing that popped out of the equations, but couldn't possibly exist in reality. Right. Um, the more we look at the different angles of this, the more we start to say, maybe these things could exist in nature, right? And, and, right. And so I, Einstein and, and the, and the rest off through Penrose and Hawking and so on, Finkelstein in between there, there. So uh, Einstein's also conceptualizing with relativity the idea of gravity because gravity. Uh, I can't begin to like. I'm not a physicist, but gravity uh, to Einstein was the thing which held everything together, essentially, right? So, so he's he's he, if something if if a bigger mass or a more substantial density. Uh, exists, then it's going to bend the fabric of space. And if you bend space, you bend time. And so, from Einstein, we get the idea of gravity wells. You know, in science fiction, that's used all the time now. Here's a ship, and it gets caught in a gravity well, and it's getting pulled in. Well, it's like a swirl in the water in, in a creek. We can see um, something visually like this. And so what what happens if a well is so intense? Uh, well, then it's pushing way down inside because you visualize the universe as a, as a thing of a, well a balloon, right? If it expands, it stretches. Things get wider. Well, what happens if you put your finger into that balloon? Hmm. And that's kind of like a gravity well. And so, yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And and I think that's a good way of highlighting some of the problems with with conceptualizations of black holes is that so they pop out of the equations of general relativity and so einstein had conceptualized and that you know space and time were one thing space time mm -hmm. and that you know black holes were a, a gravity well just like you said which is a bending of space time um and then around the same time early in the 20th century and then throughout you know up until the present day quantum mechanics has looked at it differently and rather than saying okay well there's just this space-time fabric that's getting bent they're saying no you know there's there's a granularity to reality there's constituent elements there's a spot below which you can't go any further there there must be some particle some quark something that constitutes space itself and um long story short over the past hundred years physicists have done tests testing both theories saying well they, they they can't both be right so we'll figure out which one's right but the more they test them the more each one gets a higher and higher precision and accuracy and gets more and more established as providing us accurate predictions right mm -hmm. and so Physicists at at the point in time in which we're currently hosting this podcast, they're very confused, right? Because they're going, man, both of these things, they just keep getting more and more accurate at predicting what we see, but 
they're mutually exclusive. So we have to find some theory that, that unites them, them together. To, yeah. Yeah. And so, so that'll play into some of the issues that black holes have that we'll talk about a bit. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, Sandra Sekar, um, you know, an Indian physicist in, in the 1930s, he, he established the, uh, you know, a, not the exact, but a, the mass at which a body collapses into a black hole. Mm-hmm. And so an Oppenheimer who, um, you know, developed the, the nuclear bomb and things, they, they defined it further and, and had the reality of neutron stars pop out of it. And so we're discovering new bodies, you know, neutron stars, and maybe even beyond that, quark stars and, and exotic things. Frozen stars is what yes. one, one conceptualization they had, where, which is where when it collapses into a black hole, the point at which the star collapses but crosses the event horizon gets frozen in time there. So you only see, when you actually see a black hole, what you see is just the star at that point of collapse forever, right? And it never moves, it never changes. Yep. So they, all these different ideas swirling around, um, a lot's popping out of it. David Finkelstein, who we talked about um, earlier and who was you know, a huge influence on Ravelli talks, you know, Ravelli talks about how he, his, um, ideas regarding black holes pop out of Albert Durer's woodcuts. Yeah. Right? So Again, art and science. Albert Durer's woodcuts from the 1500s. And, and change, and, and, and here's a physicist, a mathematician who says Durer's piece on melancholia shows us what happens when you have, try to have total perspective. It, it, you, you can't. There's mm. an ambiguity that's created. That's, that's what, well, you know, side note, that's why we need humanities and education because it advances other things. We need it because we need it to be creative, but we need it because it also pushes people, juices people, leads them to epiphanic moments. You, you can't create an epiphany. Right. <laughs> it just happens. You also can't stay within it. So, yeah. 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 And so we start to see some things in nature that point towards the existence of black holes. Jocelyn Bell in 67 was building a radio telescope with a, a renowned physicist at the time. And she starts noticing these <laughs> really fast, very rhythmic sounds that are accurate, you know, within very tight window she goes this is you normally don't see a a repeating pattern like that finds out they're pulsars right out there there's these husks of dead stars that have radio jets shooting out the poles and each time you hear one of those clicks it's one of those poles flashing in front of earth and hitting the radio telescope and there's dozens of times a second tells you how fast these things are rotating because they used to be so big and diffuse but after they collapse much like an ice skater pulling their arms in and starting to faster, spin faster, faster and faster, faster yeah. um they're spinning every second you go okay man these it's really starting to look like maybe there's something out there and um then roger hawking and and, and or roger, roger penrose and stephen, stephen hawking Bobby, yeah. you know they they come up with Talking radiation. Hey, well, you know these things might emit some kind of some kind of light. And uh, Cygnus X one was the first black hole discovered. And again, like we talked about, we did not see a black hole, and you cannot see a black hole. But we finally had an image of one in in 2017. But all the way up until that point, there was still quantum physicists who were saying that they don't they didn't exist. Like, that exists. you could explain them theoretically you could explain the phenomena theoretically in such a way that you did not need a singularity you did not need a black hole mm-hmm. and they were sure that when you pointed the telescope there you would see something different isn't that wild <laughs> it's right it's that all the way up wild. until you know the moment that the picture was taken and of course we were vastly simplifying that the picture was taken by a global you know uh, essentially a network of cameras and satellites the size right. of the earth over 
a long period of time and then the data had to be collected and right. aggregated and interpreted it's but, not taking a picture with your cell phone yeah and 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 the distance that this thing would be at uh, trying to see it uh, one of the analogies that's often made is that it this to see that one um would is essentially like trying to take a picture of a donut on the moon Mm, yeah yeah <laughs> speaking of donuts we were talking about that <laughs> earlier today uh so so yeah this is this is not simple to do yeah but the instruments are so yeah 2017 we get a photo that clearly shows well what well, looks like a donut <laughs> it, a black circle with with a reddish orange ring around it which is the accretion disc we talked about earlier yeah. um it's the uh the black hole at the center of of m87 um, which is just pulling in matter and the friction is heating it up and causing it to glow and emit light as a plasma and, and reach our eyes. So that's sort of the history of black holes. Yeah. Um, so now we'll get into the real interesting stuff, right? <laughs> what are the philosophical questions raised by black holes? In no particular order. And, and what I miss, you'll fill in. We'll, we'll do it back and forth. Um, the fact of their existence when the idea was that they couldn't exist affects people who are determinists hmm. it affects the idea of determinism because uh, if if everything is already <clears throat> predetermined then when you have something like einstein uh einstein's uh, theories and they come to pass in the in the hiss of the explosion of the, of the Big Bang, and they come to pass now in seeing the, the black hole. It, it means that other things probably will will come to exist too. Uh, it it affects two isms that are we haven't. I think a couple of times we alluded to them. We didn't talk about them. I think in a separate episode, but uh, presentism and eternalism and presentism is essentially a, a philosophical viewpoint that the only thing that that exists is what exists right now mm. it's obviously more than that but that's a start we'll come back to it and, and, and eternalism is that everything exists whether it, whether we can touch it whether it's an object now it's an object in our head we created it, it exists uh, Rome existed as an empire and so on and so on. Well, the, the the problem of the black hole really puts a dent in presentism from the viewpoint of some uh, some scholars and physicists. Romero is the one I've read most recently, a uh, 2022 article in uh, a journal called, I believe, Critica, a Mexican mm -hmm. uh, journal. And a science journal, well-regarded, cited in many places, in which he's, he, he essentially takes presentism down a peg or two. <laughs> yeah, you can see how um, it becomes an issue, right? And maybe we haven't spelled it out clear enough yet at this point, but so if you have a gravity well, um, so it's warping space, and it's also warping time, because space and time are one thing, mm -hmm. as Einstein is, is demonstrated and this isn't just theoretical right we we can the gps in your car would not work if this were not true right because it's outside of the gravity well so things wouldn't line up correctly um well what happens is if you have a gravity well that's so strong that light can't escape from it the closer you get and the more gravity you feel the more time slows down because time and space can no longer, they're getting sucked into this well, right? Hmm. So if you were getting closer and closer to this black hole um, and you were looking outwards, so you're, you're going towards the, back, the black hole with your back towards it, all of a sudden you start to see some weird things, right? The stars in the sky that are usually stationary would suddenly start moving. And they'd start moving faster and faster right. and then things would... Things would continue to speed up, and this, essentially, what would happen, right, is there's there's no local disturbance or difference to you, right? If you cross that event horizon, or if you're very close to it, and you look at your watch, your watch clicks normally. 
time continues on as it always has for you. So your present moment continues to be what it is. But the outside world that's farther away from the black hole, suddenly you start to see its future. Or rather, you start to see its present moment be accelerated, right? To the point where... Um, if you don't cross the event horizon and you decide, oh, okay, I'm going to paddle on back to Earth or wherever you, you know you went, everybody that you knew um, would, be, would be much older or would be dead. You know, you'd be into the distant future, and so even though you know so many hours or years had passed for you, many many times that amount of time would have passed for everybody else. Yep. So yeah, for a presentist paradigm to say, well, the present moment's the only thing that exists. Yep. Well, that is, that's an absolutist position rather than a relativistic position. And we know that in regards to time, the relativistic position is the correct one scientifically. <laughs> so it's really hard to defend presentism. Um, at least on a, um, you know, a, you, you might be able to develop a, an abstract relativistic argument for it you you might be able and and there's and there's a different level of presentism which is just the the cultural but it also uh, it 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 also seems uh fluff is not the right word for me because i don't want to i don't want to be insulting because people work very hard at the idea but but the idea of presentism in that way is 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 uh, being uncritical adhering to the, the the values so to speak uh or the structures the attitudes um, that uh, we have now, and to interpret everything in the past, because presentism indicates that there's a past. It's just the past is gone. It's, it's you know there's not a lot of relevance. But if we look at the past, we see it through our eyes now, and the presentism kind of asserts that that's the only way you can see it. You, you can't unbe who you are. Um, I think there are problems with that too. I, you, you, of course, it's the whole idea of object, well, objectivity and subjectivity, and related philosophical concepts. What you just described in, in coasting toward the, the black hole, or indeed if somebody's back on earth and somehow is, is able to watch their sense of what, how you're moving is going to change as they, and then you just wink out. Uh, so, so objectively who's right <laughs> well objectively there isn't because you you subjectively your time is 10 o'clock a.m as you're at the event horizon uh, you know subjectively perhaps uh back there on earth it's the same thing but but it, it isn't yeah and that's where you know, I think that um, that's where I think that the deterministic issue comes in, right? Is because if objectively the subjective viewpoint is the only accurate one temporally, mm-hmm. and if we are able to to change that, to modify that, um, then how you could how you could zoom out and have a a clear picture of the universe is sort of tricky but uh, but this is what this is what physics intends to do right the the goal of physics right is to view the universe materialistically and to establish a set of preconditions under which things have developed the way that they have right so in theory you should be able to look at preconditions and and be able to predict anything that's happened in in well yeah and astrophysics to me astrophysics itself as a layperson seems to me that it it, it supports the idea of eternalism of the idea that everything exists because we know that when we see when the age of the universe gets bigger and bigger and we see more and more with our telescopes we know that those stars that we're seeing if we saw a, thir- a star from 13 billion years ago um that star's not going to be in the same place mm. that star's probably not going to exist what was there is no longer there but it's there because we can see it but it's not so we have this possibilism of we're seeing the past we're in the present 
we're um, uh, extrapolating into the future. We're, we're looking at a galaxy at a distance and extrapolating its future into what it would be now because of the closer galaxies that we see in their relationships. So I, presentism doesn't really hold. Yeah, and that's a tough thing for people to wrap their minds around is that telescopes are actually time machines, right? You're not just looking at something that's far away. You're looking at something that's in the past. Um, but who's past, right? Because like you said, it's our present. So I am in the present, but I'm seeing something that no longer exists, that hasn't existed for billions of years. It's been extinct, right? It's been gone. And again, this is all modified by gravity, by effects on space-time. And, and sometimes um, astronomers will use that to their advantage. If there's um, a black hole in front of something that they're trying to it's view. Something called lensing. Yeah, yeah, they'll get gravitational lensing and it'll, it'll form an Einstein ring, right? Which will actually allow them to magnify what's behind it and see much farther than they'd be able to. Because... Take a drip of water. Yeah. yeah right? And look through it. And <laughs> Except with space and time, right? Being... <laughs> so it's really a strange, a really strange phenomenon that's hard for, for people to manage. Uh, you know, wrap their their minds around. But, um. So yeah. So black holes are wildly, in, you so, know, yeah. philosophically presentism, uh, eternalism, uh, ontology, being. Does it exist? What is what does it mean that this exists? What uh, it, was this thing uh, always going to be there? Was it determined by the conditions of the universe to be there, or are things? changing in such a way that an indeterminist view makes more sense. And and that's just the start, because then just within physics, you have people who are trying to get the, make, make things accurate, saying, well, if this exists, then this must be what's happening, like Gravelli, inside a black hole, by what we know now, but we're, we're not certain. So are, are our instruments accurate enough? And how do we create the most objective instrument uh, and how does the conditions of what we've found that we didn't think really probably existed, how does that change what we do to our instruments? And so. Yeah, and so we'll look at black holes a little bit more in depth because um, a, a lot of listeners, you know, they the, the big thing to them is is the event horizon, right? right? And so in some ways, I think that might be, it, you know, black holes are fascinating. Every part of them is fascinating. But to me, that might be the, the, the least interesting part, right? <laughs> I think that the the, the temporal and, you, you know, shift, the closer you get, the gravity changes and, and what that does to the outside world is very interesting. But um, you reach the event horizon. If you're a human, you're an astronaut, right? Um, the first thing that happens is you're just going to get shredded by the accretion disk in most stellar mass black holes right they're spinning very fast they have high charge angular momentum you're not going to get a ship through yes it. there's yeah. there's stuff falling into them that it that is the friction is is moving so fast that it's turned into this white hot plasma um and so you're going to get you're going to get killed that way um if there is if there's nothing else getting sucked in right this, so there's no matter no accretion disk for you to get destroyed by if again if it's a small black hole you're going to get spaghettified <laughs> which is where your head you know if you're falling in feet first right your feet are going to get stretched far far out in space and time so you'll get very very tall and you'll get ripped apart that way mm. <laughs> um and again a very strange effect but just to think that the space between your feet and your head right that the gravity could be so high that it would start to pull your feet that much faster than your head to stretch you out is uh is very strange but as rovelli says in his book that we'll talk about next week um that's really not any different than what happens when you drop a rock here on earth right you could do the math it'd be very very hard because of the the very slight effects of earth's you know gravity compared to a black hole but essentially when you drop a rock it's not just gravity pulling it to the ground. The rock is traveling also through space and, and time, time mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And that 
this again is we've talked about it in the past where um you know if you try to find the center of the universe what you'll find is that you are the center of the universe right and so if you are the center of the universe which again this this time it goes back to our conversation about nowhere right mm. about about temporal locations coordinates mm -hmm. if you are the center of the universe the center of all space well and if space and time are one thing then you are the center of time meaning that you are your present moment right is is the present moment and you at, are at the center of the universe but the the other thing that brings into account is that you are and everybody else is also at the center of the universe yeah. and their present moment is also the center of time yep so okay. if so <laughs> So if you try to take the measurement and it says it's where you are and if somebody else tries to take it and they and it says it's where they are it's right and yeah and so <laughs> and if the rock is dropping right the rock is the rock is traveling through time we don't think of that because it it, it appears to all be in our present moment but we've talked in the past what constitutes the present how long is the present is it a second is it a millisecond is it a plonk Length, length. What what constitutes the present, right? So, so these are the interesting, and you uh, have to define that. If as a physicist or as a non-physicist, you engage in definition. The very point of engaging in a definition means that you've you've uh, attempted an isolation. You've attempted a frame. Many things are going to escape that frame. You know it. So the definition doesn't work quite right. So you you modify the definition, and by so doing how you take in information is going to be changed and 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 all that's built into a black hole because of the idea of information with black holes uh, you know, yeah hawking was suggesting that that no information could ever leave a black hole but but that and and his views changed too but but it takes us to the word information what does that really mean yeah if is i mean if, if it is a thing then it is an object, and objectivism has to hold. It means it's material. It means, okay, then space-time is material. Why? Because it can be heated up. Can information be heated up? No. <laughs> but but that which information is stored on can be. Yeah. Um, so, and... Yeah, it's really, it really starts to get crazy with this, the space-time dimension. To we're, it. Spinning, so, we're spinning, we're spinning. Yeah, yeah, so... So yeah, you attempt to across the event horizon. The first time you get destroyed by an accretion disk. The next time you get spaghettified because the black hole is moving too fast and is too small. Let's say the conditions are just right, right? You find a a huge supermassive black hole. That so, isn't rotating. Yeah. So counterintuitively, right? The bigger the black hole, the less scary it is for you as an astronaut, right? <laughs> Provided it's not rotating. There's no accretion disk, right? It's just sitting there, very nice and calm. Um, and you reach the event horizon. To your surprise, you are not instantly killed <laughs> based upon the definitions I've given already. You cross the event horizon. This is this is possible. You could cross the event horizon of a, of a calm, supermassive black hole and not die. And your time would continue to tick by as it normally does. Um, now... The outside world. Yes. So... The observer, you know, the uh, it, this is all depends on the observer location, right? Once you cross the event horizon, you cannot, you can never go back out. Um, and not only that, but the 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 space and time stretching that you saw when you were on the outside intensifies. It continues to intensify. Once you cross the event horizon, you will be taken to the center, the singularity, or whatever is down there. Mm. Um, how long that takes can vary. Um, some estimates say a few fractions of a second. Some say maybe a couple hours, maybe a few hours in a really big black hole. Um, but eventually you'll get to the singularity. And during that time, and during your trip, um, time outside the black hole will continue to proceed faster so and faster. So years could have passed in the two hours it took you to get from the horizon to the singularity and so this is where penrose and hawking's work becomes very interesting right because up until their time 
we thought that black holes were just going a permanent fixture, right? So the, the star collapses, nothing can get out. And so the black holes will just continue on to the end of the universe. Well, Hawking and Penrose came in and said, no, due to quantum tunneling effects, you know, and quantum entanglement where particles pop in and out of existence, there are things that are just inside the event horizon, right? That there's just particles that are going to eventually pop out. And through that, the, the black hole will eventually evaporate. It'll disappear. So with that little tidbit of information in mind in our journey through the event horizon, you suddenly realize, okay, well, if I cross through the event horizon and time outside continues to move faster and faster and faster, eventually the point at which this black hole evaporates and disappears approaches faster, right? Yeah, yeah. And so when as you reach that horizon and the black hole is dissipating, something happens, right? Or rather, perhaps something doesn't happen. Doesn't perhaps happen. all things cease to happen. And that's where this, what we highlighted earlier, the, the problems between quantum mechanics and general relativity really become difficult, right? Because general relativity has been around for so long and it explains so many things well. But it's the general view of physics that it must be wrong because there's affinities in a, the equation, most notably at the singularity, which is highlighted as a point of infinite density. And therefore, as you know, you can extrapolate from our conversation, if the density is infinite, then at that point, space and time cease to exist. Right. They Entropy are, is... Entropy is reached in a, in a sense. Yeah. So if we fall, we cross the event horizon and then we make it to the singularity of this black hole, we reach a point where time stops, space stops. So what actually happens there, right? And this has been the stuff of, of science fiction and, and, you know, uh, you know, well, daydreaming for, yeah. forever, but. But the view of physics is that there's no point in all that science fiction. There's no point in all that daydreaming because a singularity cannot exist. And so <laughs> quantum mechanics has tried to come up with, with uh, different solutions for what's at the center. Um, you've, you, you've, you've captured that very well with all doing all the, the equations on the blackboard. <laughs> I, I'm going to caution anybody about this uh, uh, ahead of time. When, if you go to the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy and you read the article on singularities and black holes, it's fascinating, but it's probably the most dense, <laughs> appropriately, uh, piece, one of the most dense pieces that you can find in that online tome. It's worthwhile. Um, it gives you a humility of the size of things, but yeah, it's not for the faint of heart. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So right now the listeners are probably saying, "Yeah, but we want a daydream. We want to. We want well, to talk course, about singularities." <laughs> and they're, they're thinking, "Well, we're pretty late in the episode. Are we going to get to do that?" Don't worry. Next week when we talk about white holes, we're going to do a lot of it. Yeah. Um, but I think at this point, it's good to ask, "How do you think our conception of not just the universe but reality itself would be vastly different if black holes didn't exist? What if we?" What if they just, they didn't exist. They weren't out there, right? right we, we did right. the equations and guess what? Everything's Newtonian. There's, <laughs> there's no, there's no need for all of that. How do you think that would, would impact us philosophically? I think it would remove some, not, not all or maybe even a lot, but it would remove an essence of the bizarre, the bizarre, the unknown, the, the, the infinite possibilities, and this is going to sound really strange, but black holes are part of the uh, key or keyhole into doorways to other universes, possibly. Uh, they, they help to speculate on sub-universes or bubble universes or uh, tunnels between time and other places. That if they didn't exist, if they were proven that they didn't exist, then we might well be 
Um, I, I don't know how quantum physics would, would go with it, but we might well be in a place where we say, okay, one universe is enough. <laughs> yeah. Or, or time really is manageable. It, it works in this way. And, and yes, relative, relativity of functions. But sooner or later, we're going to see to the end of the universe. And sooner or later, we're going to be able to measure everything. And it, I, I think it removes that, that, um, not arrogant, but could be arrogant certainty that we can nail everything. It takes me back to, um, <clears throat> there was a time before the turn of the 21st century when there were some historians, some few, who really had their bubbles burst, um, who were writing about the end of history. When the Berlin Wall fell, communism was going to fall, uh, capitalism wins the entire planet, everything settles down into uh, capitalistic exchanges that bring us into some kind of strange <coughs> uh, utopia of of uh, buy and sell, and the whole planet will be just fine. The history, there, no more history because there's no more conflict. Hmm. And it was I, I remember laughing myself silly reading this back then, and and we certainly see how that hasn't hasn't happened. Um, but I, I say that because I think that that's the, the nature of uh, when you look at physics as a layperson and you read about quantum physics and you and you and you say, ah, black holes exist. I can see one. They've put it in front of me. Okay, that means that time is really wild. Yeah, yeah. It's just it changes everything. Right? I think that <laughs> I think what it comes down to is nobody wanted black holes to exist, right? Mm. I don't think any religious people you know, any theistic people. I don't think any scientists. Einstein himself, right? He, <laughs> he wrote paper after paper trying to trying to convince other physicists who were... <laughs> can you imagine that? Like, you come up with this thing and then people are like, oh yeah, and by the way, here's the thing supporting black holes. And no. then you're like, no, no, no. This, this, you know, it cannot be, right? So nobody wanted this, right? Because I think that if you go back um, before relativity, I think that physics was sort of in a similar place you know the end of physics was 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 kind of never yeah. in sight right because there was too many unanswered questions and there always will be but there was a point where you could go okay like you said i mean at that point we didn't even know that there was more than one galaxy right we, right. we sort saying, of thought in my lifetime yeah the universe has expanded immensely right and so you could imagine if, if everything was newtonian you could say okay well there's a pretty pretty clear arrow of time and it's quite straight, never bends, right? It's, it's made out of a hardy material. And, uh, you know, there's no reason. Yeah, exactly. Well, we, I think then it becomes very easy for the physicist to say, well, now we can just trace everything back to initial um, conditions, right? We can establish a few conditions and then just watch the way things have expanded and we can explain it. And, um, you know, creationists could say, hey, listen, like, Again, the the arrow of time, right? I think it's time. It is time. You know, and, and space is obviously a part of that, but I think that from the ontological point, right? And that's the big thing. I think that the how black holes change our reality is, you know, ontologically time related, right? If time can stop, if time can be reversed, if time can exist in multiple facets all at once. If you could see yourself in a variety of ways, as in a, in a house of mirrors, but that's what it looked like all the time to you, you'd probably go mad. Uh, but we already knew that time zero, even with uh, Einstein, made this happen. Zero bends a little bit if it gets too close to a planet. If you leave a planet and you go to the moon, this was measured when the Apollo astronauts uh, first went to the moon by increments. There. Their timepieces were different. They kept slightly, slightly different time than, than back on Earth. <laughs> so we already knew that time zero was, had various speeds, but we didn't know it could be reversed. We didn't know it could be bent. <laughs> we didn't know it could exist at the same time necessarily. And so, yeah, time is the thing. And that raises all of the, the big questions about, you know, I think that what it comes down to is, um, fundamental versus attributional properties of reality, right? And I think that up until relativity, 
humans that assumed that time was a fundamental aspect of reality because it always proceeded yep. so predictably in our day-to-day -day experience. Yep. Um, but first mathematically, and then through a variety of theoretical perspectives, and then through observable, you know, concrete demonstrations, we have seen that that's not true, that time is relative. And I think that that raises uh, so many issues about, well, now what does that what does that do to our experience right what, what does that do to our and that goes all the way to from from the from the spiritual of the religious and to every uh, every passage you can think because black holes also mean the the probability of singularities since the black hole is or singularity is a tear in space and time but you can look at charts. It's it's in the <laughs> it's in the articles that people write. So a, a path goes up to this tear and goes into the tear, and then what? Does it come out another side? Does it come out somewhere else? How can a path just stop? Yeah, that's well. <laughs> that's the interesting part about it, right? Is that <laughs> again just the weird, wacky way that this worked out? You know, the gravity is so intense. That you must reach the singularity. There's a 100% chance you cannot escape. Mm. But then when you get there, everything that we know about math and physics says that we essentially don't know what happens, right? Mm. Time ceases to exist. Space ceases to exist. And then quantum, the quantum aspects, um, Many interpretations of them, and again, we'll talk about this next week, but many interpretations of them don't really help the situation. They all say, man, there's really no way around it. You reach the singularity. Not, it's not as if time and space come to a standstill. They cease to exist. You know, there's nothing there anymore, right? And that's yeah. where really interesting things start to pop up where the, they go, well, Okay, well, when we look at the cosmic microwave background radiation and we look at the Big Bang, man, a lot of that, the mathematics are the same as a black hole. Mm -hmm. Could mm -hmm. it be that we are living inside the event horizon of a black hole in another universe? Do the black holes in our universes go to Big Bangs in new universes, right? Is there a strange multiverse through which we have these wormholes that take us to these places that we can't travel through, right? Mm -hmm. we, it's, it's not a science fiction thing, right? Where a human could fall in and come out into a different place. But something might be. Something might. Something could. And when you come to that place again where you ultimately say, we don't know, I think this is the most important for me a uh, moment uh if you think uh, spiritually or or phil philosophically both any number of things you uh, fundamentally no one knows what happens next we have religious texts that say with some vague certainty well yeah this this happens we don't know <laughs> that doesn't mean you stop being a person of faith if you are a person of faith or stop being explorational with spirituality if you are such a person but it ought to energize it and excite it <laughs> because it's clear we don't know yeah yeah and i think that that's the ultimate consequence of black holes existing in the universe is that it just caused everybody regardless of your your faith or your preconceptions or your views on scientific reality it caused everybody to go man now we don't know and not only now do we not know but there's a good chance we may never mm -hmm. know and then it puts the human experience into a whole different category than it used to be in before yes. but yeah i'm super excited for next week's discussion okay. and for the following weeks, like I said, we'll, we'll probably look at four or five different concepts in this kind of short series, but they're all going to connect. They're all going to be really interesting, and uh, I'm excited for them. So until next time, keep on.